Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. So what I want to share today about the Onyx Hunt app is being able to now take photos within the app. So you can take photos and be able to attach them to you know, your waypoints that you already have, new waypoints. What's really great for that is like for me, um, I guess for example, if I'm out and I'm setting a trail camera somewhere, I, you know, a lot of times I'll put them up in a tree high with using sticks or something else. And, and say I forget that I do that. If I could take a photo of where that camera is before I go in, I could check it and be like, ah, I got to make sure that I have my sticks with me or say I'm taking, you know, marking a waypoint for a big scrape. You know, I could take a photo of the licking branch so I can remember kind of, you know, what, what that exactly means because once you start logging a lot of waypoints it's easy to get things confused so that's just another way to be able to organize your waypoints with the onyx hunt app if you want to use the coupon code emw you can save yourself 20 percent off the hunt app and that works for both the elite and premium memberships learn more at onyxmaps.com university of elk hunting Corey jacobson and elk 101 have put together the most fully comprehensive elk hunting learning course available today. And this goes for beginners to elite elk hunters that have been hunting for 20, 30 years. You can learn something from this course. The, there's 16 different modules that go through every aspect from the planning of the hunt all the way through the end. And even for now, in this time of year, for rifle hunts. So that was a, a new addition recently to the course. So if you want to check out the course, you can use the coupon code EASTMEETSWEST and that'll save yourself 20% off of the online course. You can learn more at elk101.com. And so Maven Optics. Maven has a new rifle scope that just came out today. It's opened up the pre-sale. So what this is is... A 5 to 30 by 50 millimeter rifle scope. It's brand new. They're RS3. And this rifle scope is going to kind of fit in between, between their RS1 and their RS2s. And as machine turrets with toolless zero, a lockable zero stop, and only at 26.9 ounces. So it's the lightest fully featured 30 times hunting scope on the market. So... Paired with their ED glass that's known for and the rest of their optics, it has really good color rendering and the larger 50 millimeter objective lens. That scope really maximizes the light transmission for you know low hunt, low light hunting scenarios to be able to get the the last out of every hunt that you have. So if you want to check out the new RS3 scope as well as all the other optics from the binoculars, spotting scopes, and rifle scopes over at mavenbuilt.com. Use the coupon code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT. Get yourself a free gift with any full-price optics order. And lastly, Heather's Choice. So Heather's Choice has you know come out with the highest quality meal options available. And I, I said I need to get Heather on the podcast here soon, and I, I just recently talked to her 
to come back on and go through a full nutritional, you know, breakdown, not of just her foods, but just in general in life and to help, you know, create a balanced diet and be able to live at your, you know, your most optimal uh, levels for your body and your mind. But anyways, Heather has meal options, snack options over at the website, heatherschoice.com. Use the coupon code EASTMEETSWEST and that'll get you free shipping on all orders, which is new before it was just free shipping on orders over $99. And that could save you a decent amount of money, especially coming from Alaska. So check that out over at heatherschoice.com. And actually, I did want to mention one other thing. And it's just a, a, a deal that I think that a lot of people can take advantage of and really help out. So Mountain Ops is a company that I've used for a long time now. And their supplements have been, a, you know, a staple part of my, my just my diet, my regimen, and they're running a, a thing called Opstober. So every order on the Mountain Ops website wins something. So prizes range from different discounts, free shipping, free product, everything that you can get through the Mountain Ops website, and you don't even need anything to enter each one is automatically put in there. So that is something that's really cool that Mountain Ops is doing. And what I did want to say is that you can enter the code BOWFREESHIP. So it's B-E-A-U free ship at the checkout. And you can get yourself free shipping on top of any of those other orders and the prizes and discount codes and everything else that you can get in Opstober. So there's a ton of stuff being given out and you can check that out over at mountainops.com. All right, let's get into the intro here to this podcast. I have Clint Campbell coming on the line. Let's we're changing gears. We're getting into whitetail hunting. I've been looking forward to, you know, switching gears a little bit from the Western stuff. Elk hunt, I could relive that for you know, for a long time and I'm still on the high from that, but mountain whitetails, public land whitetails is, you know, my bread and butter, what I grew up doing. I love it. I look forward to it every year and we're going to kick off this episode, really diving into this whitetail season, some of our goals and also some of the tactics and, and different things that we're using, you know, going on. This is just a typical bullshit session with Clint and myself. Um, it's it's I, th- I think it's a pretty good episode, so I I would really strongly encourage everyone check it out and just note that there'll be a lot more coming from the mountain buck side of things. And also, if you haven't checked it out already, the new Sika film, The Quiet Place, that I took part in up in Alberta in the Bow Zone last year is now live on YouTube. So if you go on Sika Gear's YouTube page and just click on the film The Quiet Place, you'll see the story of Jim Holt Jr., who's a legendary outfitter. And Jim is just an incredible guy. I learned so much from him hunting there. I My tactics are so much different than his. But even with that being said and you know living in completely different parts of the world, I took so much out of that and so much that I've learned about, you know, being silent and everything there. So check that out um, over at Sick of Gears YouTube page. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get into the podcast here with Clint Campbell. And like I said, and as I promised, you know, in the past, we're going to have a lot more whitetail stuff coming up here. So let's check it out. Hopefully everyone's having a good season and off to a good start with uh, the whiteies. 
All right, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast. And today I have a guest on the line that's probably made more appearances on here than anybody else, whether we were co-hosting together or just, you know, just random bullshit session that uh, Clint and I normally have. So I, I have Clint Campbell on the line. What's going on, brother? What's going on, man? We're we're having a stash off, man. I got a stash here on in Eastern PA. You got a stash out there in Western PA. So <laughs> we're gonna have a have a good old fashioned stash off. I know this is a pretty manly conversation. I have to say, <laughs> I, I just took my I just took my shirt off just so just in case you needed to try to get on my level. You know, I took took my shirt off. I did a couple squat thrusts, so I'm ready to roll. Yeah, you know what? I'll I'll let you do that, and I'll, I'll keep mine on for the. I just don't want the testosterone blown out the speakers that's that becomes a problem i'm in full rut man i pissed down my leg earlier <laughs> it's like i'm i'm ready to go dude i'm <laughs> i'm fired up for white tails and the rut and as, as i normally say you know i'm i'm rotting 365 so it's it's tough <laughs> to, <laughs> to get on the, the the page and get with the seasons here but we're into october and you know white tails are on the mind Oh yeah, dude. Yeah, man. I mean, I've been fired up. I, I don't know if I was te- if I text you, if I text our, our mutual friend Chad or Greg. It was probably all of you actually, if I'm <laughs> thinking about it correctly. But it was like June, and I was like, dude, I am fired up. Yeah. And like, and Chad's like, boy, you need to simmer. I was like, He's, you got a little ways to go, man. You don't want to spend yourself in June and July before the season gets here. But now nah, I've been I've been pretty pumped up, man. Like this is one of those years, and we can kind of dive into it, but. You know, I, I kind of made a promise to myself last year where you know the Eastern PA has been a little bit new to me. I've, I've lived around here for several years, but it really wasn't until probably two years ago, really, that I started hunting around here more specifically and stopped traveling back home to family properties as often as I was in the past, just because it's a long drive. It's three and a half hours and Friday after work and, you know, it makes it kind of long, a long weekend and you don't get a whole lot of hunting in without, you know, not having Sundays to hunt in Pennsylvania. So, I was determined this year where I was like, you know what? I need to just get a lot of, I need to just put miles on the boots and I need to find new pieces. I need to find different size pieces. I need to find places that I call, you know, my burner spots where I can just go not worry about whether it's a good day or a bad day to hunt. If I just want to get out the hunt, I can go try to whack a doe in some of these places or whatever. Um, and so I did that this winter and spring and just, you know, grinded it pretty good and, um, found a couple good spots and, you know, I've been pretty excited, you know, for this year with some of the camera pools and stuff like that and, um, got some travel plans and, you know, all that kind of good stuff. And, you know, so I've been pretty, uh, yeah, it, it, it's finally here, you know, special regs came in for me mid September, which I, you know, is nice cause I get to get out kind of early. Um, I always say I'm going to kill a deer in September around here because I can do it in mid September and get on that bed to food pattern. But every year it seems like as soon as I go out, like the deer that I have on a bed to food pattern, just <laughs> he changes like as soon as the season comes in, it's like, it's happened. It's happened two years in a row now. The question is, did you shave the mustache in time? Was it, was it ready to go or did you, was that an afterthought after you failed at the bed to food pattern? Mm, it was after I failed. It was, um, yeah, it, this the stash is about two weeks old. Unfortunately, it's going to have to come off actually tonight after we're done with this because I have a uh, I have a, a an awards ceremony in New York City. You know, it's uh-huh. all fancy. Yeah, uh, uh, tomorrow that I have to go to. That's kind of like a black tie thing. And I said to my boss, I was like, you know, the guy who owns uh, owns the company I work for. I was like, hey, I was like, what do you think about the uh, the stash making an appearance at the awards ceremony? <laughs> and he's like. 
And he's like, I don't know. He's like, that depends on if you really want to have uh, have your face in a magazine with the mustache for, you know, several thousand people to see for, you know, however long and on, online. I was like, I'm kind of okay with it. And then his face suggested he might not be. Yeah. So. <laughs> I was going to say, if I, if I know you, you'd be a little bit like me on that and be like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I was like, that's yeah, preferred. No. Yeah, I was like, I'd prefer to have this out there rocking because you know you've got the like. The, I was thinking about this actually before we got on on the on the uh, on the call. Like, you have more of the Tom Selleck kind of mustache, right? That's like, and, that, and that's I think it's very Western PA. It's a very Western PA mustache, right? <laughs> yeah, I have I have more of a what I'll call like the Frank Zappa mustache without the soul patch right yeah some might refer to it as a van dyke you know if we're getting if we're getting technical and mustache terms here yeah yeah um you know so that's what i'm that's what i'm rolling with it's it's looking pretty good so i figured you know what i'll do them a solid i'll shave it for the for the event i got enough time before rut rolls in to to get to get a good one rolling again for rut and then i'll be uh and i'll be good to go and then i'm definitely killing I was going to say, dude, you got a pretty good out-of-state hunt coming up. And if you're not rolling into that with the rut stash as, at a premium, I don't know what to tell you. Because that's going to up your odds by 37.2%. And that's <laughs> you, you, you need that. I mean, I've, I've read all those. I've read those same studies. And I'm well aware of those statistics. It's, uh, yeah. I mean, it would be damned if I'm not going to have a rut stash rolling out, rolling out to Iowa. Now, I'm not sure if John will accept me at the border, um, Mulligan, because uh, he, he seems to not be such a fan of the, of the rut stash. John, um, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to text him when we get off here because, honestly, he, he's missing the boat here. And, well, I mean, John's successful as it is, but it's just – it makes things easier in life in general. Well, I, I think honestly, I think he's just a little concerned. I'm going to get out there with the rut stash. I'm just going to kill all the deer. And then I was not going to have any more left. That, you know, I think that's yep. really what he's worried about. So. Yep. The, all the 200 inch deer behind every tree will, exactly. will die. And that's, that is an issue. If they thought CWD was a problem, wait till you see the rut stash in Iowa. Yeah. This mustache killed more deer than CWD ever did. It's all I'm saying. <laughs> oh, that's a quote right there. <laughs> oh, all right, Clint, let's get, let's get on a little bit of a serious note here. Getting serious. All right. Serious talk. So what's, what's been going on with you and, uh, your whitetail season here, you're talking about hunting a little bit more Eastern PA and mm-hmm. we kind of alluded to you have an Iowa trip here. Let's kind of get into what your season's looking like. Yeah, man. So like I said, the special regs units, uh, unit, or I guess it's two WMUs around me that come in mid September. I want to, I forget, it might've been the 19th this year. Maybe it was, a, I think it fell on the 21st this year. Um, and a lot of what I'm hunting around here is a lot of swamp and a lot of small parcel. Even the public that I'm hunting is, is small parcel, which it's like, I would say it's probably 95 to 98% of what I hunt is, is public land. Um, some of it is, um, you know, through a conservancy that I'm a member of, a conservation group that I'm a member of, they have a bunch of land that they've purchased to ca- kind of keep development from occurring. And it's basically like a doe harvest program where I'm a member of theirs. They kind of give me a piece of land to hunt. It's pu- a public access chunk of land, but it is um, privately owned. So you have to have permission to hunt it, but anyone can walk onto it, walk their dog, hike on it, whatever they want to do. But if you want to hunt it, they have to give you written permission and you have to have some documentation or whatever just to kind of keep things on, on the up and up. And I hunt one of, I hunt one of those pieces. Um, and like I said, this past year, you know, I, I, 
I hunted that same conservancy land last year and I had some really big deer on it. And so I was really kind of stoked for that particular piece because I had, they all showed up in September and I had pictures of them and then they, 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 you know, sporadically throwed up, throwed up. Yeah. They showed up through October <laughs> and they basically disappeared like right as like rut was getting ready to roll. And that like the place basically became a ghost town, like from like third week of September on, which is kind of crazy to say, because you would think, you know, the activity would kind of heat up around that time, which was the opposite in the swamp. So I was going into this year on that piece, particularly with some pretty high hopes because there was a deer in there. I think I sent you, I think I sent you that uh, text of that, that deer that was pushing close to 150. If he wasn't 150, he was a big deer, the biggest deer I've ever personally hunted in PA, you know, and known of. Um, and then there were a few other ones that were in there, probably two that were in the thirties, you know, and, and then another one that might've been Pope and young that showed up like in, in late season. And so I never heard of anyone killing any of these deer and, um, and they're in a pretty safe spot. I mean, this piece isn't that big, it's a suburban area, so there's not a ton of hunting around there. Um, and so I felt pretty good about them making it through the year. And so I threw cameras up in then that swamp this year and expected to see, you know, those guys kind of return or at least, you know, similar caliber. And man, I tell you what, like I've been shut out in that, in that piece. So that's been a little bit of a struggle. Um, you know, the, the other piece, the public that I ended up scouting last year or this past winter, you know, when all those deer disappeared, I started like looking around at maps and kind of thinking to myself, like if I were a deer and rut was about to hit, you know, and I was going to disappear, like where would I disappear to? You know what I mean? So I started looking around the surrounding area of like, you know, where's some good habitat? Where might there be some does that are holding that they might've transitioned because there's better, you know, doe family groups or whatever in another, another area. Maybe there's a better food source in another area that's holding does. So this, you know, winter, I kind of went driving around and looking at some different public pieces and I found a couple that had some, you know, state, uh, implemented food sources, whether it was for turkeys, you know, one of them, you know, has like the NWTF sponsors it. I believe there's a sign there and stuff that says, says so. Um, and then another piece that has like some dove habitat and stuff that they've created and, 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 and things of that nature for some fowl hunting and stuff or some bird hunting. And, and with that, it just becomes a really brushy kind of nasty mess outside of the food that's in there, which is, you know, as you know, and any good deer hunter knows like the thicker, the nastier, the, the more likely you're going to have some, some deer hanging out. And, uh, so I put a scout on this piece and found some decent sign. And it was only about a mile as the crow flies from where I was seeing those big deer and that swamp that I was hunting. It was basically part of the same swamp system, but just a mile away following the swamp. The swamp kind of goes through a couple private parcels and it finally hits a piece of public. And I scouted it and then I finally kind of dove into this one really thick, nasty area and I found just some hammer sign. And I think I might even sent you that text of that rub that I found. It was just a tree that was shredded. And so yeah. I, I ended up putting a camera there this uh, this summer and I have – that's the one – kind of two deer I've been chasing. There's two nice shooters in there using like this one pinch point. They're moving in the mornings. I've been hunting them in the mornings because they're actually have been moving right at first light kind of passing through this area. And they just kind of, you know, given me the slip the past couple, the past couple hunts that I've been able to put on. Um, but yeah, so this year was really just about trying to find more parcels. I got a couple other smaller, like suburb you know suburban plots that are like in between housing developments or you know near some railroad tracks that kind of like you know kind of create a barrier for people to get into or whatever you know create a, a lot of really great edge for deer to follow so you know i've had to kind of adapt i think you know from the way i grew up hunting of you know living back toward more western pa and hunting hills and, and deep hollows and stuff like that where that was kind of how i grew up 
and still enjoy that type of hunting immensely, you know, especially when I get out to Ohio and, and stuff like that, you know, it all kind of second nature and comes right back. But it's definitely been a little bit of a learning curve for me out here because there's not so much terrain features. Like you really more have to rely on habitat, understanding how food's changing throughout the year. Um, because the terrain is not such that you're going to have very small variations and they could be significant, right. Or they could be meaningless. It just depends. You yeah. know what I mean? Cause it's, it's super flat. Um, and so that's probably been the biggest learning curve for me. And I've talked to Litzinger a good bit about it. Cause of course he hunts a lot of swamp and marsh. Um, and he's been helpful in that regard, but it's also the way the wind plays in those places. Like, you know, you kind of get used to like, you know, if you're hunting hill country, it's like, you know, like, Hey, stay up at that top third, right. That's going to be where you're going to have your best wind. You're your most consistent wind. You don't want to get in the bottoms if you can help it because you're going to get a lot more swirl down there and stuff like that. But swamps are flat and you know, you come open over a open swamp area. Like the wind comes between two pieces of timber that hits an open swamp and it hits your timber that you're sitting in. It's like, it kind of creates an eddy and you know, it's just, it's, you know, and then you're dealing with thermals a little bit differently because you're close to water and things are wet. And so it's just, you know, it's played hell on me a little bit trying to like relearn how to, how to hunt these particular pieces and figuring out where deer are going to bed in those places. And, you know, so it's, it's, it's been a challenge. Um, I've enjoyed it. You know, I've learned a ton, you know, hunting these swamps and, um, still learning every day. Like I just blew a buck out of a bed Saturday. Um, I was like, I think there's a buck that's going to bed over here. And so I got aggressive and rolled in on him and kicked him out. <laughs> yeah. So, Heck so. yeah. I blew two bucks out on Saturday. <laughs> Did, did you really? <laughs> yeah, I did. I had I had this bedding area that. So the, similar to you, this year I had decided I was going to start hunting some new areas. I've got to learn some areas really well over the last three to four years, and I just I don't know. I just have a need to want to go to new areas and see what's out there and change a little bit. And but anyways, on the first day, I was still kind of just getting out of elk hunting mode and not as prepared as I needed to be going into the first day. So I went back to an area that I know really well, and it's actually a spot that doesn't have a whole lot of terrain. It's probably a little more than what you have, but it's relatively flat, kind of swampy. Um, but as you go into this one main Creek bottom, there's a little bit of a, a valley going into it. And actually, you know, with most of like hill country bedding, the, the bucks are, you know, up on the upper third out towards the points, depending on how the, you know, the, the winds flowing through there. But in this area, I, I, I stole a term from the hunting public, but the, like the buck nest, there's literally an area that's in the middle of this valley. So we're all where everything runs down to the base of this valley. They're bedding and some blowdowns there. And that's where I killed my buck and rifle season last year. So this year I put a camera and I, I just did it to, well, I did it last year too. And I learned a lot. I literally set it up on a bed mm-hmm. and I got this really good buck that was using it regularly in early October. So I figured this year my chances are as good as any going in. My intel was zero um, of it. But this buck from last year to this year, he went from about 130 inch 10 point to about 150 inch deer. And um, well, after I was, I went in Saturday morning and hunted it one deer, uh, the, wind changed everything was good like i felt like i had a good setup but i had one point where it swirled 
and I I cannot tell you the reason for it. It was, you know, it just was a uh, it swirled, and I had a deer blow at me. So I don't know what it was, but um, right. the, the weather was 28 degrees here in the morning. It was cool, and nice. I checked the checked the camera I had set up on that bed, and I didn't have that deer using the same bed as last year. But I had two other ones that were like circulating using this bed. And it's funny because like I, I typically don't find deer around here using the same beds very often, but right. uh, these two deer were, and they're two good mature bucks that were were using it. Um, but I, I didn't have, um, I need to do an update to one of my cameras. And so the, the date and time wasn't right. So I don't know when they were coming in, but it was all daylight photos and that's good, which was, was really cool. But anyways, I blew something out there, whether that was a buck or not. And then in the evening I went to one of my new spots and I was kind of pushing up a little further than I thought I should. I knew the bedding was out towards this point, but from where I found the beds in the spring, I didn't exactly calculate that they'd kind of run that rim, that same, uh, when I say rim, they run that same, I guess, elevation around that point, depending on how the wind's working. And I had a camera set up there. And as soon as I got like five feet from my camera, 30 yards away, a good 125, 130 inch eight point jumped up and busted out of there, which for me, I looked at it as a good thing. Cause I learned knowledge that, you know, what, what they're doing and that he's using it. And I don't think I blew him out for good. He just, they, I, I just think, you know, he, he's like, all right, something happened here. Something true to me. I, I truly don't think other people are using the area. So I, I, I bet he'll be back using that again at some point. Um, right. Yeah. But yeah, I'm kind of the same way. It's like, I prescribe. like I, I used to worry about bust and like, look, I don't want to, I don't want to bump deer if I can help it. I definitely don't want to bump deer on entrance and exit if I can help it. Right. But there's sometimes like this, you know, the other day whenever I was out there Saturday, like I, <clears throat> so this swamp, I had never, when I, when I hunted it all last year and had scouted it and I went back in after the season and like, and scouted it pretty hard again this year, just because I was like, I was like, maybe I missed something, you know, while I was hunting it, you know? So I was like, let me go back in and kind of go through it. And I did, and I didn't find a single bed like anywhere. And I was like, man, I can't believe there's not deer bedded in here. Like, I just can't believe it. Like, I've kicked deer up walking in before, so I know that they were bedded, but I couldn't find a single bed, right? Yeah. And so maybe two weeks ago or whatever, I was in there, like, checking a camera real quick. Or I was hanging a new camera because I think I had one that um, – I, actually, I got a cell camera is what it was, and I wanted to put a cell camera in there so I could stay out. And uh, so I was doing that and I was like, you know what, I'm going to walk through this one area and see if there's any, see if I can find any beds or any, any rubs, even just from shed and velvet. I just want proof of life. Cause I wasn't getting anything on camera and I ended up walking up on a bed and found a bed and it was right at the first transition. If anyone's ever listened to Dan Enfault talk, you know, it's like something, you know, that he's, you know, that I've picked up from him and it's, and it's not like it's rocket science, but I'm kind of stubborn. So I didn't pick it up until like I text him one day from the, from the tree and was like, Hey, I'm in this swamp. I have big deer. I know they're in here, but I don't know where they're at. And he was like, <laughs> he was like, he was like, Hey, when you leave today, he was like, leave with about 20 minutes of daylight left. He was like, and walk to the first transition. He was like, and just text me what you see. And so I was like, and I got there and I was like, dude, this is where all the rubs are at. <laughs> like every single rub on the property was like in that like little area of the first transition. Um, so, so can I was you like, wait, you know, real quick, Clint, can you explain what you mean by the first transition? 
Sure. So for me, the way I kind of look at it is, is like, you know, I, I think it, you know, it depends on kind of how you're walking in and how you're using the property. Like the first transition could be from any angle. Right. But just for my purposes, I'm walking in from the south part of the property to the north part of the property. And when you first enter the property, I come off this road and it's really thick and the swamps right there, like kind of creating like almost like a pinch point. And the deer are kind of moving through there for the most part. That's like how they're getting from one side of the road to the to the other side of the road. Um, you know, not to get sidetracked here, but one of the things that I've learned in hunting that piece is like, I typically don't hunt it in the morning anymore. If I do, I go in after daylight and I use the cover sound of the road behind me to cover my sound as I go through. Cause I know that does bed along that front part. Okay. Right. And so that was something that I picked up after the first couple times walking in there, meeting deer part way. And I think it was the first day I ever hunted that I actually kicked a nice deer. Like a, uh, I met a nice buck like in there and blew him out. So, you know, I don't know if he would ever stay. I didn't know how big he was. I don't know which one he was because it was, you know, it was light enough that I could see that it was a buck, but not light enough to tell like which distinct deer it was. Um, so that was kind of like my strategy of getting in and out of there because I was just bumping too many deer in the morning. So when you walk through, it's maybe 150 yards or so of a walk through like this kind of thick, dense, you know, just, you know, when you think of it, it's just like, it's a bunch of swamp grass. It's a bunch of green briar. It's a bunch of small stem count trees, like just that type of think of like along the edge of a swamp when you get close and there's like super moist, right? Cause the ground's constantly wet in there. Yep. And then as soon as I get to about 150 yards in there, it opens up into like a swamp hardwood where it's like when you get a lot of rain, that area is going to hold water. So it almost looks like the ground has been washed out and there's a hard edge that's right there. Now, that first transition in isn't necessarily always going to be that distinct, but it's almost like where there's a transition, there's going to be some form of edge. It could be subtle like a brush line, right? It could be as 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 stark as what I'm experiencing, which is like there's a hard edge of like here, the hardwoods now start here. Right. Yep. And you kind of in the undergrowth kind of goes away. Right. So that's really the first transition. And it doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't mean it can only be from the, the south or whatever. You could be entering from the north. And if you have a transition of area where deer are traveling, if they're getting from point A to point B and they pass that transition point, that's that's that would be your first transition from that direction. You know, so it doesn't exist like in a vacuum. It's kind of um, omnipresent, if you will, you know what I mean? You just have to kind of look for those places that, that have edge, especially where you're coming out of something that's really thick into something that might be a little less thick or something that's even more significantly thick. So that's kind of how I, how I kind of determine it. Um, so that's where all the, that's where all the sign was, was that first tran that first transition, that transition usually also provides you some of your best, like edge in, in, in side cover or bedding cover a lot of times too. And, uh, you know, Daryl like to spend a fair amount of time there. So that's where I found that bed, you know, two ish weeks ago. And so when I went on Saturday to hunt, I was like, you know what, I'm going to try to get relatively close enough to that bed because it's all flat, mind you. Right now I'm getting into that open area, that hardwood, where if I threw my binos up, like I can usually see a pretty good distance in there. Right. So I was like, I'm going to try to get close enough to see if I can glass where that bed's at and just see if I can catch any movement or whatever. Well, I got a little too close and a deer jumped up, but he didn't jump out of that bed. He was he was bedded on that transition, mm -hmm. but he was actually back in the swamp. Like as you get more into like the, 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 like the swamp brush right before you kind of get to like cattails and stuff like that. Um, which I had looked all through that last year and didn't find a bed. And so I started putting the pieces together and this actually just happened this week. And this is like the newest information I have on this piece. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not getting any bucks in there and it's kind of pissing me off to be honest with you. Cause I had hammers in there last year. 
And I'm like, why am I getting no pictures of bucks, you know, mature bucks? Like I hunted, hunted it twice and I've seen bucks both times, but just young deer. And I'm like, why am I getting no pictures of mature bucks in here? Like what, what has changed? Right. So before I went in and did that hunt scout and kick that buck up, I did a drive around like the neighborhood or whatever to see like what food might have changed over the, you know, from last year. And like the closest field to that property is last year was just like a fallow hay field. They're, you know, mowing hay in it or whatever. Well, and it's not a huge field. It's like 25 acres or so. Well, this year it's in corn. So, okay. Yeah. So not only is the food source different, right. But it also, it can provide cover until they take the corn down. Right. The other part, after I kicked that buck up and I went, you know, same as you kind of said, you know, I kind of picked this up from Zach and the guys, at the hunting public is just, you know, yeah, you don't want to kick him up, but that's the best intel you're ever going to get because you know when he was there, what wind he was there, the time of day he was there, and what direction he ran when he got up, what his escape route was. Like, you know, so you learn a lot from that. Yeah. And so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go get in his bed and see what he can see and see where he's laying. Well, once I got back into that the swamp, he had like there were really like three different beds in this one like small area that you could see distinctly where he was laying at three, you know, three different positions. And I was like, man, I was like, why is he bedded in here? And last year I walked all through this stuff and didn't find any of that. And then it dawned on me that last year we had a really wet summer and a really wet fall. Like, I mean, it rained for like 45 days straight, it seemed like last year. And then yeah. it stopped for a day, then then rained for like another 45. And so the swamp was actually up last year, like ridiculously. So I think that what it was doing was it was pushing those deer off the edge of that swamp and they were having to travel like on the edge of the swamp as opposed to like in like the, the thick, nasty shit of the swamp. And when I got in his bed and I look, there's like a whole freaking trail system in there, dude, that goes around the entire swamp that I could see, right. That just kind of weaves in and out of all this nasty brushy, like bullshit that they couldn't have used last year. And so the swamp has receded and has actually provided them more dry spots within this thick cover. And they can actually travel in that thick cover. And so I think that was kind of my aha moment was, was recognizing that and realizing that these deer don't have to get out of there, out of that side cover really ever. If they don't want to, they can bed in there, they can feed in there cause there's plenty of browse and they can basically walk to where they need to walk to, to make a straight beeline to that cornfield at night if they want to. And so there's really no reason for them to ever kind of show themselves if they don't, if they don't have to. So I'm gonna have to change some of my setups and set up more in that thick stuff, you know, you know, or more in the thick stuff. I'm going to have limited shot opportunities, but I think if I do that, I'll probably have more sightings and a few more encounters in there. And I'll have probably a better idea of what deer are in there. The only bummer is there's really not a place to hang any cameras in there just with how thick it is. So it just have to be a lot of observation. Yeah, no, that's it. And it's neat though. Like when you get to learn a place, like for a couple years or so and understand how they use it, because like you said, year to year, that can all change depending on, whether well, it's weather, the food sources, whatever it may be, you know, and, and, and I guess that's where a couple of years Intel definitely helps. And when you go into an area brand new, say you scout it in the spring, you might be seeing the sign from the year before when there was, you know, certain food sources here or the, the weather was doing this. There's just so many different things that can throw it off, you know, and I'm, I'm struggling with it currently. I've found some amazing areas in the spring that as far as this early fall, I'm struggling finding mature deer there and it's, it's throwing me for a loop and it's really, you know, frankly, just pissing me off. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, I hear you. Man. Like <laughs> it, it's 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 frustrating because I mean I put up a ton of work in this spring. You know, I mean, I mean it is what it is though. It's hunting, and I enjoy yeah. the 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 chess match of it all. You know, it's the other piece of public that I had, and I had a couple good deer on that I've been trying to get after. It's you know I thought I had him pegged on like a certain wind that he wanted to go back to bed on in the morning and was given a shot opportunity, and he was doing it for weeks, and then it was just like all of a sudden like he just stopped. Now now I figured he probably had that bed he was probably using was summer bedding. And I figured he was probably going to change his bedding at some point. Um, the good news was, is like when he went hard horn, he didn't transition at least not completely off to where that piece is still within his home range. It seems like, cause I'm, I'm, I'm seeing him every so often. Um, but he's not doing the same things he was doing before. Um, I hunted him on Saturday. Um, wouldn't show about the time he should have been coming through. I heard some grunting, you know, about 50 to 75 yards away from me. And uh, heard a little sparring and stuff like that. So, in my mind, I was thinking it was him because like he was, it was about the time he should be coming through. It was a north wind, and that's what he wants for that area. And uh, you know, but but who knows? You know, so I ended up getting down that day on this piece of public, you know, around nine o'clock, and was like, you know what? I'm just going to go scout and see if I can find if there's any sign that's been laid down. Are there any rubs, fresh rubs? Are there any scrapes that have been opened up? And Dude, there was nothing. I did find a good oak tree that was dropping, and that's actually what I hunted this morning was that oak. And but I've I've been hard pressed to actually find sign laid down at this point, which is which is a you know adding to my frustration. Yeah, I hey I'm the, I'm in the same boat. Uh, so I went to this area that was literally I I scouted with Greg and uh, Johnny Stewart this year in the spring, mm-hmm. and we found this one spot that had more buck rubs than any of us had ever seen year after year. Like it was just like historical buck rub area, and I went there on Sunday actually just for a walk, and there's no fresh sign, but I did have a camera right on the edge of it where there's typically a scrape and they're not opening up the scrape at all, but I have bucks starting to hit the licking branch and I put the camera in there in August and bucks and does have been hitting that licking branch since August, but not, not any mature deer whatsoever. And I know they're there. I mean, these rubs are like you, there's is as much of like a, definition of a signpost rub as it gets i mean they're like an hourglass just you know that there's deer using it year after year and they're just not showing up yet and it's like you said it's frustrating but i haven't i have not found one open scrape yet my cameras i have them almost all of them on scrapes currently and i'm getting some photos of deer hitting them but it's been it's been super slow and they're just hitting the licking branch at this point Right now, the funny thing was, is like when I kicked that deer out of the swamp, you know, since I was there, you know, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead. And there was a, there was a convenient branch, like, you know, tree and some low hanging branches right outside of his bed. And I was like, you know what, piss this guy off. I'm just going to go ahead and make a a mock scrape right here in front of, (laughs) in front of his bed and see if it fires him up a little bit or something. And, uh, I don't know if this had anything to do with it, but like after that, um, I ended up hearing some grunting going on in, in that general area. So I don't know if maybe it worked. I, I told myself that it did just because I wanted to feel good about pissing them off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you were talking about how you, you got up and kind of walked around, did some scouting and everything. And I I, am, I agree with that a lot as far as, you know, I, I want to hunt the hottest sign and I want to know what's going on. And yes, there's some serious risk with it. But I, I think the intel you can gather from doing some of that scouting is worth it. I mean, do you have what, what's your kind of opinion on that? Yeah, so you know, I, I've always kind of 
hunted, I guess you would say like aggressively, you know, to a degree, not, a, not, you know, I won't go as far as to say is like, I'm not DeQuisto aggressive or, you know, any, anything like that necessarily. Cer- certainly don't have the success that, that, that Cody's had in the past. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I've had, you know, fortunate, you know, enough to hang out with him some and, you know, text with him a little bit and able to call him a friend or whatever. And so I've chatted with him and guys like Litzinger and stuff like that. And, you know, I'm always trying to learn and evolve and and learn new things. And that was one of the things that I recognized was that I was being a little bit too timid, you know, in years past, you know, and and this is something that's probably more new for me in adopting, just, you know, getting me out of my comfort zone a little bit is forcing myself to do stuff like that. Right. Cause I, in the past, I would be a person who would go sit in a stand and be like, if I just put my time in here, it'll happen. Like I just, like I'm in a good spot. I know I'm in a good spot. I scouted it. I'm just going to, I'll put my time in here and I'll sit October. I'm not going to sit all day, but you know, once it becomes that time, it's like, I'll sit here all day if I have to, you know what I mean? Eventually, you know, what I'm looking for will come by. And I just, I'm kind of to the point now where it's like, I don't want to wait for something to happen. I want to try to make something happen. And I'm willing to kind of risk you know, blowing an opportunity by getting down and scouting because I, I do really, I've just, I've had too many guys on the podcast and too many friends who are religiously hunt hot sign and that's when they have their best opportunities, you know? And so that was really kind of like my other mission for this year. The first one was like put more boots on the ground than I have in years past and have more parcels to hunt and try to learn and figure out more. And the second one was, was try to hunt hot sign as much as I possibly could and not try to wait for something to happen. It's like, I'll go in and, you know, put on a hunt for a couple hours. And, you know, if, if nothing's happening, especially in October, when, if you don't catch that morning movement, you're probably not going to get a lot of midday movement at this point yet until you get to like the third week of October ish. Um, I'm going to get down and I'm going to try to find sign and see if there's, you know, if they're moving somewhere else, you know, and, um, I just, it, it struck me whenever I was talking to Cody one day, I was, we were talking about that and he literally, he legit said, he's like, I can't sit in one place. He was like, if I sit somewhere for four hours and don't see deer, he's like, I'm, I'm pulling, I'm pulling my crap and I'm, and I'm off to the next spot. I'm hitting the ground. I'm scouting. I'm trying to kick that deer up. I'm doing something, but I'm not sitting there. And so that was just kind of like, I, I've just tried to adopt that kind of idea this year is that I just don't want to waste my time sitting in one spot waiting for something to happen when I can try to go out and make something happen. So totally on the same page with you there. Yeah. And what's funny to me is like, I feel like I'd have a harder time doing it if I was in like someone like Cody's shoes where the caliber of deer you're hunting <laughs> is, <laughs> is immensely just, it's just greater than what, you know, we have in Pennsylvania. I would just... I, I think I'd be less aggressive just by nature because I'd be scared of like blowing those, those deer out. But I've, you know, I've, I've just seen it so many times of during the rut, most, most of the times when I've done, done the best or at least had opportunities, not going to say that I've always capitalized on them, but have been during, you know, coming into this hot sign. I, I remember I was going into an, a spot I was young at this point and didn't know what I was doing, but I was helping my uncle uh, drag a deer out. And when he gave me the directions to where he shot the deer, I went the wrong direction and found all this super, this really hot sign, just scrapes, just tore up. You could just smell like it was like buck. And I, and right. anyways, I realized it went the wrong direction. I went up and found him and brought it out. And he's like, Hey, you should, you should hunt that. And I went in literally the next day and hunted it for two days and had more bucks come by me in that amount of time than I ever have. And I've hunted it since and never had that kind of a situation, but it was because it was hot at that point. I found it at the right time 
And the only way of doing that is kind of scouting. And I'm, I'm not saying I'm recklessly just, you know, pounding through the woods like I would in the spring when I'm scouting, but, you know, just trying to be observant of it and, and figure out what's happening now rather yeah. than, than, well, than waiting around. Right. I mean, I let my, I let my spring, you know, my winter, my spring scouting kind of guide me whenever I'm in the season scouting, unless it's a completely, unless it's a completely new piece to me. I mean, then you have to kind of, you got to get, you got to get dirty a little bit with that, you know what I mean? Cause you just, you gotta, you gotta figure stuff out if you're somewhere where if you're doing an out of stater and you have a six, seven days, whatever it is, you know what I mean? And you gotta, you gotta go where you think deer are and find where they're at and then you can hunt them. You know, it's like, if you don't know that, then you're, you know, you're shit out of luck. But, you know, on pieces that I do have familiarity with, it's like I'm not just haphazardly walking through bedding areas and stuff like that. I'm usually going to try to stick to, like, the fringes of, like, where I know there's bedding and find edges where I know there's bedding. And I'm going to look to see, like, have they started laying down rubs along these edges? Have they started laying down scrapes along these edges? That'll tell me whether or not they're they're in there and that they're using this, using the place with regularity or not. You know, I'm, so that's kind of more what I'm looking for. I'm looking for, like, the the hot oak tree. Is there an oak that's dropping, dropping acorns, you know, is – you know, in the case of this piece of public, it's like there were a few small oaks as I was scouting, but they were like the, the you know, the, the acorns that, that were dropping on those were, were pretty small, like immature. And I was like, eh, you know, this is okay. You know, but then I finally got to like the one area and there was like big ass mature, you know, acorns dropping. I was like, all right. And it was right along the edge of a swamp. And I was like, okay, cool. This is what I'm looking for. Good food source on the way back, you know, from a, you know, a morning cruise back to bed nice spot to catch a little nibble, right? Or the inverse coming from bed headed to like a destination food source, catch a little nibble there in a transition cover along that edge, grab some food, wait for dark, then head out to the, out to the crops. You know what I mean? So it's just, you know, when you're doing it in season, I think you just have to be smarter. I think any of those guys that do that will, will tell you, I think sometimes they press the envelope when they know they have to, but you know, they're not going to just kind of haphazardly kind of, you know, blow stuff out. Um, you know, yeah. but you know, I do by accident. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I, I know. And like, like you said, I, I, I like to have a plan with it, but it doesn't always go as planned. And, and, but you, you made a really good point there. And I'm, I'm glad you brought it up is when, when you and I are talking about, you know, scouting in season and kind of moving and trying to find hot sign, it's not just recklessly blowing through it. You're, that that scouting that you did in the spring, you know, I have the waypoints marked. I have different things. I'm trying to, you know, hit those areas more or less. I, I'm I I'm a huge. I don't know about you and the area you hunt, but for big wood stuff, I I love hunting scrapes and 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 I, I truly believe that they are effective to hunt. I mean, I know with field edges and stuff, that's a lot of nighttime activity, but. I've had more activity of hunting over scrapes and more success than really than anywhere. And a lot of times you'll find that on those edges. And I'm trying to find those scrapes that are the closest to bedding as possible because it's like, it seems to be like that buck like owns that scrape. You'll find the, you know, the secondary scrapes or I don't really have a good term for what you would call them or, but the, you know, just the scrapes that pop up during October out of nowhere, but those ones that are hit, you know, really almost year round, at least licking branches that you're finding outside of those bedding areas. Those are the ones I'm trying to, you know, scout and hit and, and see what's, what's going on with them. And, and when you find one like that with a big old licking branches broke off and, and, uh, you know, annihilated there, you'll, you'll know what you're looking at when you see it. (laughs) Yeah. A hundred percent. It's like, I'm just being completely honest. It's like, 
you know, I've had a mixed bag of, uh, of hunting scrapes. It's like I've had, you know, last year was actually probably the one of the better years I had with hunting, hunting some scrapes. It was actually back on my dad's property, a piece of public, you know, in, in Bedford County. Um, or I'm sorry, a piece of private in, in Bedford County. And I had two mature deer show up, you know, on a, on a scrape line. They actually one kicked the other one off a scrape. And then it was, this is, you know, so this is kind of going back to like the hunting, you know, and, and looking for hot sign. Like I saw those deer and I knew that, you know, as I was watching where they were, you know, they kind of, so they kind of scrammed off and the bigger deer kind of chased the younger deer. They were both shooters, but the one, the bigger of the two chased them off. I never got chased the, the smaller one off. I never got a shot opportunity. And so then I was just kind of watching down this, like it's an old grown up two track. And like, I just kept seeing deer pop out of this one area. Like it'd be like a spike and a doe. And it was just like, it was all day. And I was like, man, what is going on down there? And this is probably like either the October 30th or 31st. Right. And I'm like, man, I was like, well, I'm going to get down and see what's going on down there. You know, I was like, I'm going to pull my stuff and I'm going to go and scout that area down there and see if there's a reason why they're popping out or if it's just like, you know, how they're traveling. And I went down there, man, and there was an, a, an oak tree dropping like piles of acorns. And when I looked inside the timber around that oak tree, there were probably 10 rubs and probably six scrapes within like a 10 yard area, like just destroyed. Right. And it's funny because I talked to, you know, uh, John Eberhard about this. And this is when I really started like to figure out how to best kind of approach hunting scrapes is kind of how he does it. Cause I've never had success of hunting like lone scrapes, even if it was like a quote unquote kind of like hub scrape, if you will, like I've just never had success doing that. But once I kind of talked to John and, you know, he kind of shared, you know, his, his approach to hunting scrapes is more like primary scrapes against, you know, transition cover essentially. And what he's basically looking for by a primary scrape is he's looking for a main scrape that might be, you know, kind of what you're referring to Bo, which is like that mammoth, like three, you know, three foot round or like the size of a freaking car hood, you know what I mean? Scrape. And then it'll have like a bunch of smaller scrapes, satellite scrapes around it. He's like, when you find that, he's like, that is a spot that is ripe with activity. That is a primary scrape area. That's usually probably going to exist right outside bedding. And there's probably going to be some rubs around it too. And he was like, you know, you're going to have multiple bucks that are going to want to hit that. Multiple deer are going to want to hit that. And so once I started kind of looking for that, you know, that was whenever I started having, you know, I guess seeing a little bit more action around scrapes. Now, the downside of this story was, is when I saw that, I was like, I'm going to keep looking for more sign. And then I ran ran out of daylight and had to get up into a tree like before dark so I could get a hunting in the evening and never made it back to that scrape. And this, uh, I guess it was this winter and spring when I went back to scout, I kind of thoroughly went through that area and I found a buck bed no further than like 50 yards from, from where all that was at. Really? So yeah, it was, th- th- that property was a little tricky. I mean, we haven't owned it for, my dad hasn't owned it for very long. Last year was actually the first year I ever hunted it. I think this will be the third year we owned it. The first year I hung cameras on it for the year and never touched it. Um, and there's been every year there's been like one or two like good deer. It's not a big piece. It's like 60 acres. Um, and, uh, there was always like one to two good deer and it was really weird how they worked that property. Like they don't, they don't cross pollinate like deer that are on one side of the property. Don't make it to the other side of the property. They really kind of run it North and South for the most part. Um, and they're all, the one camera would always have the one, like a big deer on it every year. And he would always be coming from the same direction. So I was like, I know he's bedded up that direction somewhere. I just couldn't figure out where. And so I finally like tore the one like piece of thicket apart and walked through all the brush back and forth, basically grid searched it this past winter and found, and found, and found his bed. And then 
and I, so I set up a camera nearby and sure enough, you know, this summer I had a big deer using this old two, you know, grown over two track headed right to that to and from that bed in the mornings and in the evenings. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. When, so one, one thing that, that I notice in a lot of the areas that I hunt with, you're talking about the primary scrapes with like the secondary scrapes, if you, if you call it around there is I'll find that a lot of times on hemlock trees specifically or pine trees, Hmm. any sort of conifer like that. I'll find, if I can find one that's like, I don't know. You can just, I, I, I can almost spot them out now. Like if I, on the edge of an old clear cut, so it's thicker grown up, you know, eight, 10 year old clear cut. And there's a tree on the end of it. You can see, I can see it from a hundred yards. I'm like, oh man, that looks like a scrape tree. You know, you right. just have that, <laughs> that, that you, once you see them, they'll be in your mind and, and I'll, I'll go up to it. And if I can find one that has like almost like the circumference the whole way around that tree, you'll have a few scrapes. And then there's always one that's just like, the big guy, the big scrape and with some secondary ones around there. And, Oh man, they, that's when I find something like that on the edge of like a, a, um, a vegetation change or, or some sort of a transition like that. That's, that's something that the end of October, I want to be hanging around. And it, it just seems those are the type of scrapes I'm talking about when it comes to, to hunting them. And, and I've tried hunting scrapes in farm country a little bit and on the edges of fields and stuff. And I've never had success with it. Not saying that you, you can or can't, but I just haven't. It, it just seems like in, in the big woods, when you find some of those ones on the edge of that, that cover and those transitions, you know, I think there's a, a multitude of reasons for it, but it can be, yeah. it can be really, really good. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, in my opinion, you know, this isn't, you know, this is just me with, you know, my own personal opinion. I, you know, I of course don't think that all sign is created equal and I don't think all sign is created <laughs> equal in different geographies either, you know, yeah. like, so, and you know, what I mean by that is, is that, you know, I've on our family properties and stuff like that, I've seen monster scrapes on the edge of edges of fields and have never once seen a deer work it during the day ever, you know what I mean? But you'll see people in Iowa and, you know, Missouri and, you know, Illinois or you just name a big buck state that has, you know, some lower pressure and stuff like that. And dudes will kill big deer on scrapes along field edges. You know what I mean? So yeah, it, it, for me, it's like, you know, you almost have to take into consideration like where you're at and what are the circumstances like, you know, and, and it, for, it's something, and then we, we can transition into it if, if we would like, or we can talk about it a little bit. But you know, for me going out to Iowa, it's like, I, you know, I had a long conversation with Greg about it because, you know, I was thinking like, I probably need to kind of like think about how I'm approaching things when I go out there because it's just, it's different. You know what I mean? Like the the things, things that don't typically work here work there. You know what I mean? Like for example, for example, rattling, I've yet to ever have a deer. Like I typically don't even take antlers with me in the timber in Pennsylvania. Like if I do, it's like, because I've seen deer sparring or I've heard sparring and antlers you know, tickling during the course of like October to where I'm like, I can probably get away with a little bit of like light time touching just to raise interest. You know what I mean? But not like a full out smash them up. Like shit's getting real. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's yeah. a fight going on. Like I just never had it, just never had it work. Right. But like John last year when he killed his deer, like he smacked the antlers together like all day long on the eighth when he killed his deer. And he's like, dude, he's like, every time I smack my antlers together, he's like, I had bucks run straight to the tree. He's like, it was the craziest thing. Right. 
you know, so, you know, in saying that it's like, you know, I think in some of the places, you know, especially, you know, PA where you have pressure, you know, especially down around where I live, where there's, you know, the public pieces are relatively small in, you know, generally speaking, you know, they're going to be, there's going to be a fair amount of pressure on it. Right. So those scrapes that you're seeing that are visible when you're walking into the timber and you're, you know, not far off a food source or whatever, probably isn't going to pay dividends for you. Like you probably want to find the one that's just like tore up with a bunch of them, you know, and, and, you know, I was talking to some buddies about it and, you know, what we kind of referred to those as were like, you know, either secondary scrape lines or pressure scrapes, you know what I mean? To where it's like, they've had hunting pressure now and they're now, or, and their food sources have changed. So now they're moving back further into the timber. And when you find those ones that are further into the timber, those ones usually tend to be more, more valuable because the deer have been pushed back into those areas and are spending more of their daylight time in those areas. Yeah. So, so that was, that's kind of like how I have learned to look at scrapes and I'll be the first to admit it's like, I'm not a great scrape hunter. Um, but that's one of the things I'm trying to, you know, get better at because, um, I know that there, you can't have success with them. It's just a matter of how you, how you approach them and how you, and how you value them, you well, know, and, and where, the, and where they're at. Well, what you said about the geography thing, like you said, that's so big when even so when I hunt Southern Ohio and it's, you know, it's, it's pretty steep hill country and it's similar to Pennsylvania, but a little bit different. But so I, I went there my first year with the idea is I'm going to hunt scrapes like I do in Pennsylvania a lot. And I'm going to kill deer. I mean, that's just the way it is. And I, I, I do hunt if it's not like a super steep area and it's more of a gradual kind of come down to the valleys. I hunt creek bottoms a lot. You can get more of a, a direct downward thermal coming mm-hmm. down rather than a swirling wind that you get in some of those steep narrow bottoms. So but I, I at the time I wasn't thinking of that. And I went to Ohio and I was finding these giant scrapes. And for some reason, it seemed like in southern Ohio, all the scrapes were perfectly round. Pennsylvania, they're kind of trashy bucks. They don't give it. They don't give a shit. They just kind of. They're, they're, man, they've been drinking Iron City. They've been they're drinking man. Iron City, bush lights, <laughs> and they're just tearing it up in whatever direction they come into it. Where Ohio, they're classy. They're just making these perfect round scrapes. But all that aside, there's those scrapes. I never saw a buck ever on them by hunting them. And I ended up throwing a camera on while I was out there for the week and I had nighttime activity, but no daylight. And that's even an area that wasn't that pressured. It just seemed like they weren't, they weren't hitting them the same. I mean, it was pressured, but not, not exactly, not uh, like Pennsylvania would be. And it it just was a difference that I, I learned in the geography. So I'm not saying that like, you know, the information that, you or I are saying it's going to apply everywhere, but it's, it's something, I mean, the biggest thing is coming down to adapting. And I think that's that way with anything with whitetails. Yeah. A hundred percent, man. I think, you know, it's, um, you know, when, when people learn new things, wherever you're learning it from, whether you're listening to this podcast, mine, you know, any number of podcasts out there that are talking about whitetails and stuff like that, you always have to consider like the perspective that, you know, the guests and, you know, hosts and stuff like that are kind of sharing the information or articles that people are writing or whatever, you know, because like those things don't apply the same, like deer are deer and they do similar things from place to place, you know, and and they react, they're different because of their environment from place to place. You know what I mean? And so you have to kind of take that into consideration because they're going to just, they're going to, when their behavior is different, the sign that they lay down means something different too. 
You know what I mean? And it, it, I mean, they mean the same thing. They're still communicating. And I'm not saying that it's, it's not like they're, you know, they've learned to speak or something like that. You know what I mean? Like they're still using those so same means of communication, but like the frequency at which they hit them, the places in which they will lay them down, the places in which they will frequent them, you know, during daylight, like those things are all, you know, environmental, you know, to a degree that, you know, and the, that environment is driving the, 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 the behavior that you're trying to capitalize on, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So with with all that being said, when you go to Iowa this November, what is kind of going to be your your game plan and some of your I mean you touched on a little bit here, but what are some of your game plans and your, your goals with it? What are you looking to get out of this trip? So I'm going to kill a 200 inch deer because they have a bunch of them out there yep, behind and, most trees, <laughs> behind every bush. You know. Yep. Um, no, I mean I think you know. So my game plan is is you know just to kind of give everyone like, I guess the whole, the whole story. It's like, I went out in March and spent a couple days out there and, and scouted. I'm going to be hunting all public while I'm out there. Um, and I spent, I guess it was like two and a half, maybe part of a third day, if I'm remembering correctly with John Mulligan. Um, it, we went and he showed me around to some places cause he lives close to this piece of public and he, he's hunted it. You know, he hunts it every year and he's been out there. I think this will be his third year in Iowa. Um, he basically hunts like he hunts a, a fair amount of it, but you know, he basically hunts that in October a fair amount. He has a lease that's close by to where I'll be hunting. And a lot of times he'll transition to his lease around November because that's when his lease, what he's learned over the, t- over time, that's when his lease really kind of picks up. He'll hunt his lease whenever there's like a good deer on, on camera, maybe in October, but otherwise he knows that prime time for that spot's really, you know, uh, end of October, beginning of November. So he kind of took me around and showed me some spots that he, you know, that he's found interesting over the years. And we scouted that and we scouted out a few spots that I had marked on a map that I was kind of interested in. I think the one thing that I need to kind of remember while I'm out there is, you know, and John and I were talking about this a little bit because I was looking at a lot of places on the map that were like, like a hike, you know what I mean? Where I'm like, you know, I'm going to get up in this thing deep, you know what I mean? Like, and you know, and, and look, John's a grinder, man. He's he's all for it. He's game, you know what I mean? But he just kind of looked at me and he was like, hey, man, he's like, you know, I, I get it. Like, go to where the sign's at. He's like, but he's like, I just, you know, want to caution you. Like, you know, it's different out here. You know what I mean? He was like, you're, he's like, you don't have to hike three miles to get away from people. He's like, I've hunted this piece for, you know, going on three years. He's like, I've only ever seen one hunter my the entire time I've ever hunted it. He's like, and that was in the parking lot. Like, I've never seen another hunter in the woods. You know, he's like, so... He's like, you don't have to go like a mile and a half, you know, down a trail, down a two track and then cut off into the woods and go another mile to get to like a spot to get away from pressure or to find a big deer or whatever. You know what I mean? He's like, it's, that's not necessarily the case, you know, that, and he was like still around here, you know, he was like food, food still dominates, you know, whereas in Pennsylvania, it's like, if you're hunting public, dude, you want to be as far away from the food as you can. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Where it's just, it's just like different, but you know, the one word of caution that Litzinger gave me, he was like, look, dude, he was like, don't outthink yourself and going out there. He's like, you have a way that you like to hunt you, that you've killed deer with before. You know, he was like, you know, use your same tactics, use your same strategies, you know, and just like pay attention to the woods. You know, he's like, don't go trying to change like, you know, all of a sudden hunting field edges or whatever. You know what I mean? He was like, he's like, cause he's like, honestly, he's like, you haven't hunted like that in a while. He's like, it's just, it's different. You know, he was like, just rely on what you know, you know? And so I think it's going to have to be a little bit of both, 
you know, to a degree because I do know it's like, look, food still dominates out there. It does. You know what I mean? Like it's just like we were saying two minutes ago, it's like you see every year people kill big deer on scrapes and on the sides of, on the side of food plots or fields. You know what I mean? Um, but you know, the scouting that I did, I did run across a couple beds. Um, so there's one particular like, you know, ridge on, you know, the, I guess at the top of this draw, that I really liked that was like nasty to get into. I was actually trying to get back to this food, this ag field. It was like three ridges over and it wasn't super far necessarily. But when we got in there, man, it's like we got down the first ridge. Like you basically park and you walk in along the side of this ridge and then there's just like this sheer drop off, you know, that you kind of walk down and then you come up a ridge and it's like there's, it's those deep, like almost like glacial like cuts like that, that are creating these. They're not bluffs, but they're not like mountains and they're not really even as big as ridges. You know what I mean? They're just like yeah. these weird rolling like points and stuff like that. Like the terrain's just different. And, you know, cause this is the part of Iowa, this is uh, Southeast Iowa. So it's like, you're still got some you know, like terrain and stuff like that. It's not flat. It's not flat Iowa. Um, and, uh, and so we were walking through this and it's like, it's, dude, it's covered with like multiflora rose and greenbrier oh, and yeah. brush and just like shit everywhere. And we made it up the first ridge, down that ridge, up the second one, and we're on top of the second one. And John turns around to me. He's like, dude, he's like, this is killer back here. He's like, but you getting back in here during hunting season in like a morning, he's like, you're going to blow every deer out of here from here to like, you know, freaking, you know, Des Moines. <laughs> you know what I mean? He was like, they're going to hear you coming from like 10 miles away. I'm like, you know what? You're right. So we ended up backtracking and going back and just, I spent a lot of my time on the one ridge, the first ridge that we got to that was there. And I just found like a hammer signpost rub on, on the top of this ridge and some good sign. And I was like, all right, this looks like a good spot. So that's one spot I want to be in. He and I found a match set, uh, of sheds out there and they're probably like in the one thirties ish. Um, you know, and so I think John actually had that deer on camera, so he should be around this year. Um, then there's another spot, you know, that has like some good doe bedding that historically John knows that there's like good doe bedding in an area. So he's kind of scouted through that. And, um, there was a guy who poached a 175 or whatever it was off of that, that was known. And then another guy in another area nearby killed a 189. Um, so there's a couple really good, there's, you know, of course good deer out there, but you know, those were some general spots that like have been known to hold good deer that don't have a lot of pressure. Um, ended up finding another bed actually close to where that, that deer was poached. Um, found another bed there. And then I found, we jumped a buck actually. And we could just, we could tell that it was a, you know, a buck at that point because you could kind of see where he had kind of dropped his antlers. You could just see white spots on his head, like where he was healing or whatever. And he was just a monster bodied deer. Um, and he scooted out of there. And so we found that bed, didn't find any of his sheds. Um, and that spot was really good too. And that was just like on the leeward side of a small ridge, um, headed to almost like a, this like old orchard that's kind of overgrown. Like a, it almost looks like a CRP field, but there's like a bunch of trees that have been planted in there. Like it's, you know, like they're planting like, you know, oaks in there or something like that. I forget what kind of trees they were, but, um, so that spot looked really good because that, that big grassy, like CRP kind of area looked like that's probably like a really solid spot for a bunch of doe bedding. Um, and there was a bunch of deer shit all through it and stuff like that. So that's kind of my game plan for going out there, man. I mean, you know, the real game plan is, is to get there the first day. I'm wait till daylight and kind of scout my way into, you know, and not blunder around the woods. So I have some daylight and just kind of scout and try to find hot signs, set up on hot sign the first night, hang, hang some cameras along the way, and then just kind of try to read sign and find where deer are laying down sign and try to get on, get on a decent deer. 
Um, I don't really have like a caliber in mind. I mean, my goal is to try to shoot a four and a half year old because, you know, that's hard to come by in PA. Yeah. And, you know, and if I do that out there, I probably have a good chance of it being like in the 140s or the 150s. You know, so that's that's really my goal if I want to talk about like size of deer. But um, that's really the plan, man. I'll be out there for two weeks. I'll be there from like the first of November hunting the first of November through like the 16th. Okay. Wow. Yeah, you'll be you'll be spending some time there. So hopefully that um, I'm sure it will pay off for you and i think that's a that's a pretty solid goal that you have there and i mean hey and if you're in iowa first bike that comes by might as well take it you know without you don't have that much time so right well the funny thing is i was like i'm trying to like i've already started mentally preparing myself of like you know you know the first deer you see might be bigger than any deer you've ever seen from from the tree or on the hoof in pennsylvania and it might not be the one you want to shoot in iowa you know what I mean? Like it's, I'm having to manage like through those expectations of like, you know, you know, what do I do if I see a 135 inch deer and I'm like, I want to kill him. You know, it's like, but you know, whatever, man, it's like, if I come home with bone, I'm going to be stoked. You know, it's like, yeah, I'd like to have a really like to kill a good deer, but you know, it's, it's going to be really cool just hunting Iowa because, you know, the rut unfolds out there, at least from what I hear and understand and what John has kind of explained to me, like it unfolds out there. Like, nothing like you'll see in other places. Um, and so that to me is just going to be cool. Like I want to see some sparring. I want to see some buck fighting. I want to see like just bucks acting a fool, slobbering up, bristling up. You know what I mean? Like I want to see all that shit. Yeah. It's funny. Like that's the way I was, the way you're talking about is the way I was in Alberta last year when I hunted the right. bow zone, I kept saying the gym, I was like, Hey, cause you know, I got back to the lodge. I was like, I didn't shoot this deer, but I really wanted to. He's like, Bo, you're not out here to shoot 130 inch eight points. You're here to shoot giants. I'm like, no, Jim, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> he starts <laughs> laughing. He's like, no, you need, you need to get your head on straight. I'm like, all right, all right. I'll, I'll uh, try to get right. my Pennsylvania mind out of here. Right. Yeah. It's like I have my wife using flashcards with me of big deer that I'm scoring them and aging them on the hoof. Like, you know, <laughs> like. <laughs> Uh, oh, man. there's there's actually a little bit of truth not well not to the flashcard truth but i have been like looking at deer like that i know like you know what the age of them are and like looking at them going okay this is what the body type looks like all right cool all right this is what the brisket looks like you know what i mean like okay this is what the hind quarter looks like when a four year like i'm just going through like reminding <laughs> myself of like what these things look like because you know my fear is like i'm going to get out there and i'm just going to get super excited i shouldn't say my fear you know what i mean it's like i'm not you know it's not fearful and if i if i kill a deer i'm going to be super pumped for whatever i kill but um you know it's just it's one of those things where it's like you know you get this opportunity once every you know i i put in points for 4 years you know and it's like every 4 years you know you get to do something like this and so you want to make the most of it and that's why i decided i was like you know i'm going to go out for 2 weeks and you know, and, and, and see what, and see what happens, you know, hopefully we get into some good deer. John's like, you're going to see good deer. He's like, you'll see good deer, you know? And I was like, all right, cool. I was like, I'm stoked. I'm ready. I think he, he might actually be more excited than I am if that's possible. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's funny. Is, yeah. Is I mean, he going to get to hunt with you while you're out there? I'm imagining. Uh, I mean, we're not going to really probably hunt together per se, unless, I mean, unless he tags out early. I figured you had, had like a buddy stand or something. Yeah, I mean, if he tags out early or I tag out early or whatever, then we might, you know, tag along with one another. You know, I film for him or him film for me or whatever the case is, you know, depending on who has has a tag and who doesn't. Um, You know, but I think for the most part, we're probably going to hunt separately just because at that point, he's going to probably be concentrating a good bit on what he's got going on on his lease. 
Um, you know, and I'll be on the, on the public. It's right around, I mean, he lives right there and you know, like his house is like 10 minutes away. So I'll see him probably most days. Um, but as far as like getting in the, you know, the timber together, you know, if we're lucky, we'll get to, but you know, I'm not counting on it. You know, I'm, I'm basically looking at this as this is, you know, for all intents and purposes, a solo mission. It's a lone wolf mission. I'm going out and going to try to figure some stuff out and going to try to kill a deer. And hopefully I send him a BBD text and, uh, and then wait for him to come help me drag it out because those things weigh like 300 pounds out there. I ain't dragging that shit by myself. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd wait for him and he's a bull. So let him do it. Yeah, exactly. I told him, <laughs> I was like, I was like, you know, I'm already going to be drunk by the time you get there and be useless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. He was like, it's all right, dude. He's like, I've been known to pick stuff up, and pick stuff up and put it down. And I was like, all right, cool. I was like, I'm going to remember that whenever I shoot one of those in like one of those deep draws a mile and a half away from a, <laughs> from anything. Yeah, and he'll you know, be telling you the whole way out. I told you you didn't need to come in here. <laughs> right. It's like, dude, you could have shot this guy along that cornfield over there. You know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. funny. So that's the plan, man. I don't really, you know, that's really the only trip I have, you know, on the books. You know, my my dream would be to like kill something in the first week that I'm in Iowa, and then I would, I'm torn between, you know, this is like my pie in the sky plan is like kill something the first week in Iowa. And then, because I'm going to be right there by the border of Missouri, and I've already kind of eyeballed a couple pieces of public that's right across the border of Missouri where I might hop over and just buy an over-the-counter tag and hunt Missouri the second week. Um, but Or I'll just head back and stop in Ohio and get my over-the-counter tag in Ohio and go back to the spot, go to the spot that I usually – that I like to hunt during the rut in Ohio and see if I can't kill one there. Well, I hope that's the way it works out for you. And you, you kill a buck early in Iowa, you go to Missouri, Ohio, you tag out, life's good. It's just, it'll get you by till next season. Dude, if that happens, man, like, I don't even know, like, I'll be a mess. It'll, it, it'll be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's a, uh, I'll be uh I don't know what I'll do, but uh, you'll, you'll get a text and probably a phone call. It'll be incoherent. Yeah. Probably, probably be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It'll probably be barely English at that point. Um, but you, you'll, you'll understand what happened though. Nonetheless. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm pulling for you. I hope it's uh, I hope it's a good season for you. I love this time of year getting the texts from friends and the pictures and, oh man, that just gets me fired up. I know, dude. It's like, I'm always looking forward to like anytime like you or like any of my other buddies text me during the season, you know, during like midday, like during work hours, when I get a text from anybody, I'm always like, you know, I jump on the text like immediately and like, I don't wait. Like if I'm doing something, I stop what I'm doing and I check the text. Cause like, I want to see if it's someone shot a big deer. Oh, it's, and it, yeah, I, it's, it's funny because like there's people like you and like a bunch of others that like during the summer, we're all so busy doing our own things. We don't talk a whole lot. And then yeah. it comes hunting season and we're like, we're like texting buddies, like pen pals, like every day, you know, it's yeah, like, ex- exactly. what's going on? Oh, I'm seeing this. Oh man, I'm not seeing, I, I, I gotta move. <laughs> oh yeah. Dude. It's like, I, I, I talk, I talk on the phone during this time of year with, with buddies more than I do probably like the other 10 months out of the year. Yeah, for sure. I, you know I, what I, mean? I agree, man. Well, yeah, for sure. Cool. So Clint, uh, I think we're going to put a cap on the end of this podcast here. Where uh, can everyone find some information on you on your podcast where they can get a whole lot more whitetail related stuff and just about everything else you got going on? 
Sure. So, uh, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram. It's, uh, at truth from the stand and the same on, on Facebook. I'm pretty active on, on Instagram most weeks, uh, as long as you know, life permits. Um, the website's just truthfromthestand.com and the, the, the podcast is truth from the stand deer hunting podcast. You can find that in all the places where you get, where you get podcasts. It's on, uh, it's on YouTube. I'm starting to do a few more videos here and there. I plan to ramp that up more so in the spring uh, or in the winter, in the spring with some scouting stuff and, and things of that nature, but I am filming my hunts this year. So if anything goes down in Iowa, there should be, there should, should be some footage of that. Um, and then otherwise I also have uh, a coffee company that I, that I run with my wife that we started to give back to conservation and that's called, uh, skull brew coffee. And you can uh, check that out at skullbrewcoffee.com. We're 2% for conservation certified. And we also give back 10% of our profits to the likes of QDMA, BHA, RMEF, and the nature conservancy. So trying to do our part to make sure we keep uh, public lands public and, uh, accessible and as well as some clean air and clean water that's that's my story that's your story yeah i would highly recommend everyone checks those those avenues out to find clint's stuff he's always got good things going on good guests on the podcast and and uh his coffee's pretty damn good i had a little bit there this morning there you go that's what i like to hear yep a little bit of skull brew getting me going for the winter here that's right. You got to fuel up for the hunt, dude. Get a little skull brew in your life. It'll start your engine in the morning. Yep. Exactly. All right, man. Well, uh, I'm sure you and I will be talking quite a bit here uh, going forward, but I uh, do want to wish you luck as as you go on through here, Pennsylvania, and get ready for your big Iowa trip. And uh, hopefully we'll get to talk soon. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Good luck to you too, man. Let's, uh, I'm looking forward to that uh, that mountain buck text here in the next few weeks. Oh, I hope so, buddy. I hope you get it done earlier than normal, but hey, it is it is me and it's the way I hunt. I'll probably be the last day, but... <laughs> it's, it's, it's all right, man. The, the mustache will keep you company. You're all good. <laughs> all right. We'll <laughs> talk to you later, Clint. Thanks, buddy. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.